Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. There's something kind of romantic about a message in a bottle, you know? To have the idea in the first place, you gotta have something to say. And you gotta have faith that someone, somewhere, sometime will find it. Today you're gonna hear three stories about messages in bottles. One that a Connecticut woman was reunited with after 40 years. I was shocked. I wanted to tell everyone immediately, 40 years later to get this contact, it's just like magic. You'll hear another story about parents who got their son's message in a bottle 15 years after his death. And he said, uh, there's a Facebook post and they found a bottle that I believe has to do with your family, one of your sons. And so then we knew that this was a letter uh, from heaven. And you'll hear about one message in a bottle that was thrown from the Titanic. I'm Kyone Wolf. That's coming up next on Audacious. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Imagine you're at the beach, taking in the scenery, breathing in the fresh ocean air when the sun hits something, floating in the water just right. It's it's a bottle with a message inside that looks totally intact. How far did this thing travel? Who sent it? And when? And what does that note say? Today, you're going to meet people who've sent and found messages in bottles, and you'll hear about one that was thrown from the Titanic. But let's kick things off with a message in a bottle that was returned after 40 years. Stephanie Marco Lance is an artist living in West Hartford, Connecticut, and Lana and Tommy Simmons run a thrift store in Statesville, North Carolina. Back in 1982, when Stephanie was a wee nine-year-old, her family took a trip to Martha's Vineyard. And that's when her mom had the idea that they could write a message, seal it up in a green glass bottle. And we launched it off the boat, thinking that we would probably never hear from anybody, you know. What was written on this note? I'll pop this cork, which, did you guys notice that it says, dear you, at the end of the cork? Yes. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. And then I tied this nice little piece of yarn around the note, so... It could pull out very nice. That was my nine-year-old artistic brain right there. (laughs) Make it easy for whoever finds it. So let me read it to you. All right. From August 22nd, 1982. Dear person who finds this, if you're an adult, give this to a kid, not a goat. If you find this, write to Stephanie Marco. And then it had my address in Glastonbury. This is not a joke. I want to see if this bottle is found by anyone and where it went. From Stephanie. And pristinely kept, considering the fact that it's 40 years old. By the way, goat? Give this to an adult, not not a goat? Yeah. Not a goat. Maybe someone would give it to a goat? (laughs) I have no idea. I thought it was because people call goats kids, baby goats are kids. I'm quite sure that was not my logic at that age. Uh, That's how I took it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Actually, I think you should take total ownership of that, Stephanie. Oh, yes. That's what I meant. That's exactly when we read it. That's exactly what we thought. That's so funny. So off it goes. And... 40 years go by and Lana and Tommy, this bottle gets in your hands. How? I run a thrift shop. It came into our thrift store right on our sidewalk. And one of my employees found it and said, this would be so neat to find this person and get this bottle back to them. And I said, I know who will do that. (laughs) So I brought it home and gave it to Lana. And I think it took her... 30 minutes to find Stephanie on Facebook. When you found Stephanie, how sure were you that this was the right Stephanie? 
Um, I would say I was probably 90 to 95%. It was funny because I opened it and I read it and I thought, okay, so then I took a picture of it and sent it to two of my friends. And so they were both looking as well, you know. And so there's a couple different Stephanie's. And so one of them was sending me a picture and I was like, no, I don't think that's her. She's, I think she's too young, you know, because she looked like she was in her early twenties or whatever. And so I found her and I'm like, this is her, this is her, you know, I just know this is her. And so I typed out that little message that night and sent, took a picture of it, took a picture of the bottle and sent it to her. And the next morning she had replied like, oh my God, seriously. (laughs) And we were surprised that it ever really went into the ocean because it looked perfect. Like it, no wear or tear, no, I mean, no even, barnacles, no, yes. it's not dirty. It looks like it's been kept uh, shrink wrapped. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, even the yarn was still perfect. So when she told me that um, she really did throw it into the ocean, we were pretty surprised because it was perfect condition. And so then we went back to the Facebook page of the thrift store and we tried, we posted it and stuff to see if anybody would say, we donated that. But so far, nobody ever said anything. So we don't know where it came from. All of a sudden, it just ended up in Statesville. So this is not the end of the story. Uh, you got in touch and Stephanie's like, yeah, that's my bottle. Stephanie, what did it feel like to get that message? I was shocked. I was, I wanted to tell everyone immediately. And I can't remember if I posted about it first or if you guys did, but I shared your posts and, you know, all the friends and family were like, that's the coolest story ever. I mean, like the fact that it made a loop back to me that you guys track me down with which is so kind of you guys. Um, I felt like a, a immediate friendship with you guys oh yeah absolutely i'll have to come visit your thrift shop someday (laughs) and meet all your dogs that's right yeah (laughs) but like i mean it was between martha's vineyard and point judith that i dropped off the boat and then 40 years later to get this contact it's just like magic yeah it was and i was so excited we found her and so we made a post about it and then i told everybody and then she you know told everybody and it kind of got to be a big story for a little bit. And we were, we were really excited to find out more information about it. Cause like I said, it looked like something that had never even been in the water. And so, cause it kept perfectly. What's interesting too, is Stephanie, you were saying like, thank you. You did such a nice thing. And, and certainly like Lana and Tommy, you spent some time, like this was, this was an investment of time for you to research this and get in touch. And, and we'll talk in a second about how you sent the bottle back to Stephanie, but like, this seems like one of those things that is such an obvious labor of love where everybody wins. And so while you're thanking them for like, for doing it and it's gracious to be thankful at the same time, like all of this was for all of you. Yeah. There was no way I wasn't going to research this and find out who it was and get it back to them. You know, even if we would have had to drive it, you know, we would have done it, you know? So, you know, as soon as we found her, I was like, okay, so we, boxed it up all safe and all kinds of stuff and put stickers on the box and, you know, mailed it off to her. But yeah, we made sure, you know, cause God forbid it gets broken in transit right. after it's made it in the ocean all these years, you know, so. <laughs> you wrapped it up real nice. You, it was all bubble wrap. Oh yeah. And- that was my job. Yeah, that was him. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but like I said, we've tried to find where it came from and all that. We just don't know, you know, so. And we'll probably periodically post it just to see if it flags anybody's mind or, you know, anything like that. Um, one other thing we could maybe do is put a picture of it up and say, did you donate this? Mm-hmm. You know, or just something right. like that. So they get a lot of repeat customers and stuff. And so we just don't know. Yeah, I would love to know the story between who found it and it getting to you. Like that was a lot of years that it was somewhere, I would imagine. Absolutely. Right. That is like a yep. missing link. Yep. Right. Like, was it recovered almost immediately the day that you dropped it off? Was it in there maybe, you know, for a year? Was it in there for 40 years and someone just found it and just translated? Like, that's. Are there any other questions that you would want answered from this? I think maybe somebody found it. It was the days before Google and that kind of thing. And it was just not as easy as it was for us. 
you know, we went straight to Facebook, put her name in and boom, you know, found her pretty quickly. Back 20 years ago, that wasn't an option. And who who knows if they may have mailed a letter, it didn't get there. You know, we just don't know what happened. So the bottle is mysterious. But the fact they donated it to you guys is kind of interesting too. Yes. You know? Yeah. Did they keep it 20 some years as a decoration in their home and then all of a sudden they donated it we don't know or maybe they died and it was you know stuff left in the house they do get a lot of deceased people's families bring stuff in quite frequently we get the things the grandkids don't want but someone else will there's your tagline that's That's right that's right somebody's gonna want it (laughs) i'll do your voiceover for your phone (laughs) yeah (laughs) um stephanie i want to hear about what it was like when you got that box in the mail that contained this bottle, tell me about that moment. Well, when they offered to send it to me, I was just even brought another level of excitement because I didn't even expect that, you know, and they're like, we'll, we'll definitely send it to you. And I'm like, seriously, that's so cool. That's so nice. Yeah. You know, it was the only thing to do. Right, right. <laughs> it was your bottle. It was. Yeah. Wait a minute. There were instructions in the bottle to do just that. I know. We follow instructions. You know. So. And you didn't give it to a goat, did you? No. 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 Um, so I thought it would be fun since so many people were following the story to actually do like an unboxing live. Um, so I like posted when the box came, I posted on Facebook, okay, at five o'clock or whatever time I said watch i'm gonna unbox the message in the bottle live on facebook and um you know it was really fun to share that experience with as many people um who were interested and we watched live we watched live yes. yeah we went and watched the live and watched all of it when she did so it was so we were a part of that as well from north carolina so look what i got in the mail today all right so here we go oh i see a little note Stephanie, I am so glad that somehow all these years later, your message came to us. I hope this brings back many happy memories of your childhood trip. You now have friends in North Carolina, Lana and Tommy. Oh, you guys are my new friends. My friends. All right, let's see. Oh, look at how cool. I do recall putting this piece of yarn on it to help someone be able to open it up and take out the message here it is you guys i can't believe it this is so special to me you know i am so appreciative to getting this back in my hands so i could pass it along to my kids thanks for tuning in peace out it was just so cool i mean you guys enclosed a nice note in there and I, I really feel like a connection with you guys. Um, Absolutely. Just like your kindness connection here. Um, and it is proudly displayed now in our, our living room. And it now has um, inspired my art. Yeah, tell me about this latest piece of work you've got. Well, I happen to have it right here. <laughs> and perhaps you could describe it for our listening friends. Oh, yes, because we're, we're on the radio. The whole back is a piece of reclaimed wood from my father-in-law's old house. It's for a show in West Hereford. It's The theme is orange. So that's why we have this orange kind of sky. And a fun ocean um, sculpted out of plaster. And then the message in the bottle here. Very good. And it was Hi. fun because I got to write another message and put it in my art. So there's an actual small bottle coming out of the ocean into the orange sky. Yes, it's like splashing out of the ocean here. May I ask what you wrote in the bottle or is that to remain a mystery to us? I'd be happy to share it with you. I didn't include the goat in this one. (laughs) but All right. To whoever finds this message, I just wanted to use this message to remind you what's important in life. Life needs to be enjoyed to the fullest. There are certainly ups and downs along the way. Some things will come easy while others surprise you and seem like the greatest challenge you could ever face. During those challenging moments, it's important to still make time for joy. 
Make time to watch the sunset, feel the wind in your hair, share a smile with someone you don't even know, enjoy live music, give positive feedback to the artist who inspires you, enjoy the flight path of a dragonfly, tell your friends and family how much they mean to you. I know it sounds cliche that tomorrow's never promised, but it's true. We're here on this earth for an unknown amount of time. So try to make it a goal to help those in need, love hard, and have as much fun as possible. If you find this message, please let me know where you found it and what you plan to do to make life the best it can be. That was great. That's beautiful. That was really, really good. And I agree with that 100%. That's top secret, though, everybody. So keep it under wraps. Okay. Yeah. We won't tell anybody. I've asked everything I planned on for the story. Is there anything I missed? Anything like you want to make sure our listeners hold on to? Just anything at all so that when you hang up the Zoom call, you feel like, yep, I got everything out. I think pretty much what she said in that last message is what I would like to get out to people is, you know, go forward with kindness. You know, you never know what somebody's facing and just help people as much as you can. And that's what they do at the thrift store and that kind of thing. And so, right. yeah, they help. That's what the job's all about. Our thrift store supports a food pantry, a helping center, gets people, keeps them from being homeless and keeps their power on whenever they're in trouble. So that's, that's what the thrift store provides money for. So, You know, I've only just met you now. Um, hearing about what you do, seems to completely fit you oh well thank you thank you and your character yeah i'm not surprised at all um stephanie marco lance and lana and tommy simmons thank you for talking with me and telling me this beautiful story thank you kion thank you thank you we appreciate it nice meeting you again yeah, nice meeting you nice Thanks to see you guys thank you. Take care. keep thank in touch You can follow Lana and Tommy at yoke, Y-O-K-E, fellowstatesville.org. And you can see Stephanie's art at kindspindesign.com. Oh, and fun fact, it is federal law that when a public radio show does an episode about messages and bottles, they must use this song by Sting. Hey, I don't make the rules. And you're welcome. When we get back, years after their son's death, his family hears from him again in the form of a message in a bottle that he launched when he was young. It was a letter from an 11-year-old calling for a connection. You know, please, if you find this, let me know. And uh, Providence had a role to play in all this. Plus, what's the story behind a message in a bottle that was thrown from the Titanic? I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. A lot of people struggle with sleep apnea and with CPAP machines. Dr. Carl Muller, a head and neck surgeon with Hartford Hospital, describes Inspire, a surgical alternative to the CPAP approach. Only about 60% of patients can tolerate CPAP real well. Inspire is a surgical alternative to CPAP. It's an outpatient surgery. It takes about two hours. And essentially what it does is it picks up when you're taking a breath and sends a two-second electrical pulse to the tongue, which causes the tongue to stick out a little bit and stiffen and prevent the airway from collapsing. 
Hartford Hospital has performed more than 200 Inspire Therapy surgeries. If you've tried and failed with CPAP, you could be a candidate for this minimally invasive procedure. Patients with moderate to severe sleep apnea are candidates. There is a weight criteria, so you have to have a body mass index below 35, and you have to have to have tried and failed CPAP. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kion Wolf, and this hour is full of stories about messages in bottles. Later, you'll hear the story of one that was thrown from the Titanic and made its way to a museum in Ireland. But right now, you got to hear the story of Brian Dahl and his parents, Eric and Melanie. Eric, a physician in Oxford, Mississippi, was sitting in church waiting for his granddaughter's choir concert to begin when his phone rings. I answered the phone. The voice said, hey, Eric, this is Jay Hughes. Well, Jay Hughes is a local entrepreneur, politician, attorney. And uh, when physicians get calls from attorneys, usually their mouth goes dry. And my tongue got a little thick. And I said, well, what can I do for you? And he said, well, you know, Eric, I'm an attorney. And uh, a lot of us attorneys like to troll the Internet, kind of keep up with our community. And I think I found something on the internet that involved your family. So then I'm nearly catatonic with like, what could this be? You know, it's somebody claiming to be a long lost brother or what, why would Jay be calling me? But, and then he pretty quickly realized I was getting anxious. And he said, uh, there's a Facebook post that is from the big river shipbuilders of Vicksburg. And they found a bottle that I believe has to do with your family, one of your sons. He said it has your old address and uh, it has a phone number. And there wasn't enough to say D-A-H-L, but it, they, the Big River Shipbuilders thought it said T-A-H-L. So he said, are you on Facebook? I said, no, but my wife is sitting pretty close here. Let me just get her to pull it up. She did on her phone and saw a letter in uh, one of our children's handwriting. And our younger son was with us. So we said, hey, did you do this? And he said, no, that's not me. And so then we knew that this was a letter uh, from heaven that our oldest, our late oldest son, who'd been dead 15 years, had a message coming to us. And uh, I began to get vague memories of signing a permission slip for a weird uh, field trip that this beloved teacher, uh, sixth grade teacher, Martha Burnett, said, uh, Hey, we read a story about messages in a bottle. Uh, Brian was really excited. The class was excited. So I came up with this field trip that we were going to write messages, put them in a bottle, seal them with wax like she'd researched. And then 300 miles and 33 years later, through a treacherous rocky river that floods and dries up and the bottle was discovered. May I jump in and ask what it felt like when you saw the picture of the piece of paper and what did it say? It was pretty amazing. (laughs) There's only a portion of it left, but it was just enough to know exactly what it was about. Yeah, it was, I hate to use the word surreal, but it was like, this can't be. But uh, the, the thing that jumped out at me, and maybe you can see, is in big letters, twice still extent on this, it's please. There's an 11-year-old boy. He says, if this is found, please, and then we assume it says contact Brian Dahl, phone or call collect, and he gives our old address, Oxford, Mississippi. And our old landline. And he dated, it's dated August 30th, 1989. He's a sixth grade student. And please, if you find this, let us know where and how you found it. And and uh, pretty quickly after I saw this for real, because it was it's a couple of months from the time it was found until it was in our hands. But one of the things that really stood out to me was that at just the right time for us, this letter that had been put in a bottle 33 years before. And it's a letter from an 11 year old calling for a connection. You know, please, if you find this, let me know. And and, uh, when we are so polarized in our culture 
and the world is so distressed. Through all these little coincidences, Providence had a role to play in all this. So it's very encouraging to us that this beautiful man who died at age 29 and loved people is connecting people and making friends of uh, the crazy Connecticut uh, woman <laughs> with some uh, with some drawling Mississippi people even today. He <laughs> <laughs> works that magic. And you, you said uh, in this letter, the word please is repeated. So it sounds like uh, he was an awfully polite and thoughtful person. Will you tell me more about Brian? Well, Brian was pretty brilliant. <laughs> I say, I tell people a lot of times it's, it's hard raising kids that are smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was, um, had a great sense of humor and a very quick wit. He could put me in my place in a hurry <laughs> in a funny way. He had, before he died, he had gotten into um, bicycle racing, road racing, and was just winning gold medals right and left. He was just ferocious on the bike. Yeah. He had lost 80 pounds in the three years prior to his death. And our, we had a little cycling team, a little group of us that rode together. We called him the Borg because few, you know, resistance was futile. <laughs> Star Trek references are so welcome here. Go on. He, he was, like Melanie said, quick-witted. And there were there are three other rest of us. And um, he looked over, you know, he was kind of waiting for us on a ride one time. And he goes, okay, Compulsor, that was me. That was my nickname that he came up with on the spot. He said, whose superpower is the ability to regiment even the most spontaneous activity. I was doing something that, you know, made him kind of irritated with me and he looked over at my friend who's a PhD scientist and uh, was riding with us and he goes, and his sidekick, Captain Tedium, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he said, whose superpower is the ability to suck the joy out of even the funnest activity, <laughs> let's get it on the road. So I was not on this particular ride, but one of the ladies that rode with him, a young woman who after he died, she said, oh, you know, instead of what would Jesus do, she was going to wear a bracelet. So what would Brian do? Because she thought so much of him. And they had been out in a ride in the county where they came up on a pack of, of puppies who'd been dropped by someone. And one of the one of the litter uh, had died, obviously, from being hit by a car. And when the bikes came up, the brothers and sisters scattered. And uh, when she looked around, uh, Brian, who'd been leading the group, was missing. He had dropped off the back because he wanted to move the little dead puppy away from the highway so the other puppies wouldn't get hurt. They kept circling around the little puppy that was dead. Yeah. So he was trying to get them out of trouble. He loved animals. Sometimes he related better to animals than he did to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, his death was unexpected and he had so much life and love, and character, and humor, and connection. And here, you get this bottle with his little kid handwriting on it. Yeah. And I'd like to hear what you make of all of this. Um, one of my big takeaways, I guess, is that um, Uh -oh, here I go. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. <clears throat> you say this well um, though. Our God is a loving God. He doesn't shield us from everything. He lets us go through some pretty awful things. But he loves us and he takes care of us. And sometimes he just wants to give us some joy. Just because he can. And I think that was what this was. It's just, I mean, it's got God's hands, handprints all over it. You know, so many little things could have changed the way this came out. You know, we could never have gotten it. It's amazing that we did. And I think he orchestrated it. And I think it was just to bring some joy. And we've been amazed at how the story has just taken off and been picked up by so many different places, people in so many different places, like you in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? Um, we never would have dreamed 
<laughs> you made it. <laughs> <laughs> of all the states in the union. Uh, <laughs> but it's just, um, you know, people are looking for good news, I think, yeah. and happy stories because they're just are so few right now yeah. for a lot of folks. And I think, I think that was the reason that this happened. Yeah. So you travel three and a half hours to receive this bottle this summer. <laughs> so it's really recent. When you got back in that car to head home and the bottle's in your hands, what are you feeling? Well, for one thing, we felt like we had a bunch of new friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they treated us like we were celebrities, really. Um, they all gathered the whole company. Everybody was there, gathered around and had big lunch for us and talked to us and hugged us. And, and they took us out on the big towboat and toured us around the river and showed us where they found it and made a really nice day of it for us. Several times we broke down in tears. It just, how connected we felt instantly. It's like the pleas, the call for connection from across the years was being answered right there. You know, we were connected. Um, when you talk about God, I feel um, a sense of love and support. Um, I wonder when Brian died unexpectedly in 2007, if you felt angry with God? Yeah, early on I did. You know, our family prayer had been uh, always starting our day with, uh, well, even going back to when we knew Brian was conceived, laying hands on Melanie's belly and dedicating this child to God. And throughout his life, you know, we prayed together was, uh, you know, we believe you're working, open our eyes to see how you're working. And when uh, I found Brian's body, I was just screaming out, you're working, you know, how are you working in this? And I think I was reading out loud from Philippians 2 where uh, Epaphrodites had been healed and Paul said he spared me joy, you know, grief upon grief. And I literally threw the Bible and said, you could have spared me grief upon grief. And you didn't. And then I had some dreams that blessed me. One dream felt very real, like Brian came and got me. Uh, and he was like Superman in Lois Lane, flying me around. But it was about the universe. And he was showing me stuff. And at one point, he said, you know, we flew by some galactic cluster that somehow I knew wasn't on any star chart or something. And I said, man, I've never seen that. And he goes, yeah, it takes six of our guys to run this. And uh, he was showing me all this great stuff. And I said, look, I'm going to be in trouble if we don't go back and get mom. He's, and he kept looking over his shoulder like, I'm really not supposed to be here. Just shut up and enjoy this dead. You know, don't be compulsory. Uh, I kept adding and saying, we really, I don't want to have to explain to mom. And so he kind of got irritated and he dropped me down in a uh, high school football stadium between the Goths and the Emus. I'm suddenly trying to figure out what does this mean? And, and then I wake up and around that same time, I had a tossed and turned and suddenly I was awake in the bedroom and there was God in a chair in the corner. And uh, I couldn't see his face because I knew I'd die if I did, you know, but he was, it was like he was there and he said, you know, I know you wanted to talk. And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, you know. And he said, well, uh, let's think about that together. Because he knew I wanted Brian back. And uh, it was as if, without saying it, he was saying, hey, you know, Brian is in paradise, and to bring him back would be a really cruel thing for a dad who says he loves him. And I'm going, well, if you're going to be that way, I just, you know, I was just so enough. 
But we went on, it seemed like, for 45 minutes. And at the end of the conversation, I had decided, uh, okay, I'm not God. I don't understand everything he does. But I do think he's going to help me live with this. And uh, I don't know if you ever, I don't remember ever hearing Melanie express the anger that I had. But the first couple of weeks, I was having trouble not seething. My experience was different. <clears throat> I didn't feel anger. I didn't doubt that God was there, and I didn't doubt that He still loved us. Or I, I didn't blame Him, but um, I shut down. I couldn't pray, and had to work back into that, doing some journaling and just. I would copy scriptures that were meaningful and, and turn them into prayers, I guess. Just change the wording so that I was just pulling my prayers directly off the pages of scripture and sending those up. That was all I knew how to do. So my experience, I guess, was a little bit, I didn't have any vivid dreams. <laughs> well, you know, I, I had several dreams and it may have been a merciful Lord knowing how messed up I was, but then I, after, especially after the uh, universal flying <laughs> thing, I kept saying, you know, I would fall asleep saying, you know, this woman laying next to me is a lot better person than I am, and she hasn't had a dream, and what's it going to hurt, you know? You can do all things, and then uh, not long after that, we had to go to a funeral home where we attended his funeral. And we were getting ready to go in the funeral home, and I think we'd been in a tiff. Just before we got out of the car, you remember what you said? No, I don't remember. <laughs> you said, I had a dream. Brian came into our bedroom, and he had on his cycling gear. And we just had, as I remember, a nice conversation. And you could tell that he was getting ready to go and the uh, conversation was over and that he was coming to hug you and you didn't want him to hug you because you knew it was a dream and you couldn't feel it. But he hugged you and you felt it. How, since you've gotten your hands on this bottle, how has it affected the way you feel Brian now in your life? I got a quote from uh, a coworker who is, I'm blessed uh, to have as a coworker. She is a widow who lost her husband last year. Love never goes away. Never goes away. And I think the bottle is a strong reminder. It's a nice symbol. You don't have to have it to remember all the Brianisms, all the love he showed us and other people, all the love he's inspiring. But it's a nice reminder that love never goes away. I kind of like to think that, you know, I don't know how this works between us and the heavenly realms, but <laughs> I wonder sometimes if he doesn't get to kind of look in and see this is going on and if he does, he's getting a really big kick out of this. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I visualize him with dad or mom with some popcorn. You're watching, <laughs> you know, dad's going to do it again. Watch, watch, watch. Oh, there goes a tear. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he's also like right behind me being like, you don't know what you're in for. Uh, you don't know what you're in for, lady. Uh, thanks, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> well, did is there anything that I missed? Anything else you want to say or thoughts? Anything at all? Well, thanks for joining the chain of kindness to uh, share a story that encourages people instead of a story of uh, war and death and meanness. What I've heard of your shows, they don't typically involve meanness. And I appreciate you for that and for your interest in learning about Brian and sharing the story of uh, 11 year old asking people to connect and helping people connect yourself. Well, Eric and Melanie Dahl, thank you so much for connecting with me and for telling us about your son, Brian. 
Thanks. Thank you so much. After the break, the story of a message in a bottle thrown from the Titanic. So somewhere on the voyage, he would have emptied out the holy water and he wrote a little note. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. You're listening to the new investigative reporting podcast, In Absentia, which means you're interested in getting to the facts and uncovering the truth. If you'd like to help us continue our investigative work, consider making a donation. Visit ctpublic.org slash tap support and contribute today. That's ctpublic.org slash TAP support. Thank you for being a part of the Accountability Project. So, you've never donated to this station before? That's okay. Public Media Giving Days are a great time to make your first gift. Here's how. Give now at ctpublic.org slash donate. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. The final story in our show about messages and bottles is that of a young Irish passenger on the Titanic, Jeremiah Burke. To get this story to you, we connected with Jack Walsh. He's the general manager at Cove Heritage Center in County Cork, Ireland. And that's where the bottle and its message live on. Here's Jack with the story. So the story really is that the night before he left, he was only 18, 19 years of age. Uh, and he was from about six miles away. And the night before he left, which was the normal thing, they would have had what was known as an American wake. Not expecting to see the person again if they emigrated, they would have had a party to say goodbye to him. So the night before he left, his mother gave him a small little bottle, about two inches tall, and she put holy water into it. Irish mothers do that sort of thing all the time. just to... <laughs> Yeah, that's their vibe. So somewhere on the voyage... He would have emptied out the holy water and he wrote a little note. And on the note it says, From Titanic, goodbye all, Burke Glanmire. Now, th- that bottle was found 13 months after Titanic sank and was washed up about three miles from where Jeremiah was born. So originally people would have thought that the bottle was thrown from when it hit the iceberg. Now, if you want to be smart, you can say, oh, yeah, and it made its way all the way back across the Atlantic. I think it was thrown at the mouth of Cork Harbour, which made it a lot easier for it to find its way. But, you know, let people decide themselves where it was thrown from. My only objection is why would he take this bottle of holy water from his beloved mother? I'm assuming she was beloved, but, I'm, you know, he had to empty it out not long into his journey and then write this note. Why? He might have blessed a lot of people with the holy water. (laughs) He might have drank the holy water. (laughs) The bottle was empty when he put the note in. That's all you need to know. You know what, Wade? This makes me think it's like a metaphor for, you know, if you've got grace to give, give it all and give it fast. Give it soon. Give it to everybody. Why wait until you hit the iceberg? Exactly. But anyway, the little bottle and the note are both in our exhibition. Um, because the person who found the bottle presented it to Jeremiah's mother, and she recognized handwriting. So it was held uh, in the family for a long, long number of years. And two generations down, somebody decided it would be nice if the bottle was in public display. So it was it was given to us to mind it, if you like, but also to show it to the public. I have goosebumps. I, I can see that, yeah. You should turn the heat on if you're that cold. (laughs) (laughs) But that's our story. But we we have a lot of other interesting stories. But that's one where you you actually picture yourself on the Titanic throwing the bottle overboard and where it's going and where it's ended up. To have it as one of the few things that came from the Titanic is amazing. And of course, we don't condone littering, but this is a really beautiful thing. it It was a very nice, tidy bottle. It was a very, it was a very holy bottle. <laughs> holy bottles are not litter. They can't be litter. Exactly. <laughs> They're just more exactly. holy. Yeah. God was guiding that in the right direction. It was not going to litter the place. If only God would have maybe put the ship in the right direction. But you know, I guess we'll take it up with him, her, 
them. He was busy that day. Um, when you heard from the family, did they tell you anything about what it meant to them? It, it meant a great deal to them because one side of the family had the note and the other side of the family had the bottle because that's the way it was handed down to the family. And I, I suppose number one for them to part with it was very difficult. But when they could see the two pieces together and see it displayed, uh, obviously then it was, okay, we're now sharing our story with everybody else. And I think they felt very, very proud about it. And, and we often get descendants of Jeremiah coming into the exhibition because they want to see it. Uh, and they're very proud to tell us that they are, you know, Jeremiah was my great, great uncle or whatever. So th there's a lot of pride involved in it, which is lovely. But the fact then they can now say, well, yeah, it's there for everybody else to enjoy, not just our family, which is a lovely, a lovely thing to do. I know that he didn't throw it. It's so unlikely that he threw it off in the middle of the ship, you know, tilting into the water. It's incredibly unlikely. But even thinking about it, which I think is for people who don't know, probably what they default to thinking and imagining is him throwing it off as it's sinking. But it did remind me of the notes that, the voicemails on 9-11 yeah. that people left their loved ones and that sort of exactly, yeah. need to make that one final connection with home. And while he, he likely didn't write this note as the ship was sinking, he did write it knowing, as you said, that, you know, he'd had an Irish wake or an American wake. So it was a goodbye. It was a real goodbye. He wasn't going to be back. He wasn't going to be back. He was saying goodbye to Ireland for probably the last time. Uh, and as he left the harbour, I would expect that's when the bottle and the note were written. And it was his way of saying, well, you know, that's the end of that chapter of my life. Goodbye. Thank you. And as you said, very poignant when it comes to when, when you think about something like 9-11 uh, or, or, you know, situations when people are, are at war and all of a sudden they make a quick phone call or leave a note. Um, and that's, that's the, you know, it can be very emotional. Uh, thinking about those situations or why somebody did a certain thing. To him, he was saying goodbye to his old life in Ireland, to his family, but he was also embracing uh, a new start in the United States. Well, what he hoped would be a new start. Yeah. Um, I know that seeing this message in a bottle, um, it's meaningful, especially to his family, his descendants, it's meaningful to Ireland. It's meaningful to anybody who cares about what happened to the Titanic. But like, I don't think it's my Irish heritage that gives me goosebumps. I think it's my human heritage that gives me goosebumps. What are your thoughts on the reasons people react so strongly to this story? I think, number one, because the Titanic was such a part of uh, history it's probably, as far as I'm concerned, very romanticized because of all the movies. I know. I'm speaking to you, Jack, and I have been holding back this whole time making the connection with the movie, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Don't. <clears throat> I'll tell you who the real Jack and Rose are in a minute because we have their story. Um, but I think the whole uh, Titanic story has been so romanticized um, that everybody has their own feeling about Titanic and how sad it was. But the saddest thing was about the loss of life. And, and needless loss of life in some cases because, number one, they assumed it was unsinkable. Number two, they didn't have enough lifeboats. Number three, why were people um, locked down into the steerage area until everybody else? You know, there was, there's lots of little stories. So when you have a little bottle and a note that came from the ship where there was needless loss of life, it kind of tells us all a little story of a very, very sad period in history. Uh, now, you mentioned Jack uh, and Rose. We actually tell the story of the real Jack and Rose, and there were two passengers on board. Uh, one was called Dennis Lennon. He was 20 years of age, and he was a barman in a pub in County Galway. And he worked for a guy called Mullen. Uh, Mullen had a young daughter called Mary. And Dennis and Mary struck up a relationship. But obviously... Old man Mullen didn't like the hired help hanging around with his daughter. Um, so he kind of said, this is not a good idea. So they decided to elope, and they eloped onto the Titanic. Now, it's just two more people on the Titanic, you think, that's fine. But there was a lady uh, actually here in our exhibition about four or five years ago who explained to us at the very end of her tour that she worked as a uh, scriptwriter on the movie. 
And when they were looking for stories, they based the story of Jack and Rose on Dennis and his girlfriend, Terry. And we tell that story as well. That's so cool. And what we do tell people, we tell them that this ain't Hollywood. We tell the truth. So there's no diamonds and there's no door. You know, it's the real truth and nothing but the truth. So that is the story of the real Jack and Rose. Well, Jack Walsh of the Cove Heritage Center in County Cork, Ireland, uh, thank you so much for talking with me. Great talking to you. Thanks very much indeed. We'll have links to the Cove Heritage Center and photos of all the bottles from today's show at our website, ctpublic.org audacious. This show is always lovingly produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford with help from our interns, Jacob Gannon and Taylor Doyle. Subscribe to Audacious. And if it makes you feel something you've never felt before or something you want to feel more of, share it. Rate it on that podcast app and spread the love. Speaking of love, there was a lot of it in this episode. And if you liked this one, and I know you did, you're definitely going to like the one we did with people who use TikTok for good. There's this one lady who does time-lapse videos of old, dirty gravestones that she cleans and transforms into pristine condition. There was a group of people whose videos of drive-by compliments have millions of views. And there's this one lady who calls herself the Queen of Cleaning. Basically, she's fanatical about house cleaning, and she totally transforms for free the houses of people who are struggling financially and whose homes are in desperate need of a deep scrubbing. This woman is so committed and in love with her work. It's really beautiful to hear. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy that episode and all the rest of them. Send me your messages and bottles made out of zeros and ones on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kion Wolf, or you can send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.